Welcome to another episode of Doe, a podcast dedicated to doe cases from around the world. I'm Kat. And I'm Allie. So, back with another forensic fact. This time it's about fingerprints. I don't know if I've talked about fingerprints before. Mm, We've talked about different types of prints, but I don't think we've talked about fingerprints. Okay. So this is kind of like how fingerprints aren't that great. Okay. Lay it on me. All right. So fingerprints are analyzed with the ACE-V system, which is analysis, comparison, evaluation, and verification. So first step, you it's like the latent fingerprint is what's been left at the scene. So once you get that, you look at it, you're looking for all the features of the fingerprint, like the lakes, the valleys, the deltas, and all these things. And then you compare it to your exemplar prints, which are going to be like taken from someone's arrest record, or if you get uh, someone's fingerprints as a suspect, something like that. And then after that is the evaluation where you, I mean, you evaluate how good the comparison is. And then you get verification, which is somebody else looks at it and tells you if they agree or not, basically. But the problem with fingerprints is evidence versus like DNA is that fingerprint examination was developed solely for the purpose of litigation rather than developing with, quote, disinterested self-testing. Oh, and this is all from um, a critical review I did in one of my classes. Oh, interesting. Okay, so basically that means that like fingerprints, it wasn't like unbiased. Like, yeah, it was like, okay. There's also no single standard for fingerprint examiners to follow, meaning that there's a lot of subjectivity in the process. That seems like a big deal, because that seems like something that should absolutely be standardized. It is, but the problem is that it's hard to standardize it, because the whole thing is like, well, this looks like this feature to me, this looks like this feature to me. Oh, I see. It's kind of like open to interpretation. Yeah, exactly. And another problem is that the verification step is often performed by someone within the same agency as the first examiner, so not from a neutral party. Yeah, I was going to say that does not sound neutral. That sounds like, that doesn't seem like a scientific process. It's not. It's a technical process, not scientific. That would probably be an issue. Does that mean that it, basically what you're saying is that fingerprints aren't like a solid evidence? Exactly. So they're treated like it, but when you look at the standards put in place for what can be used as evidence in a trial, it it technically doesn't work with it. I would have thought that because everybody talks about them all the time, that fingerprints would have been like so solid. I know. I was super surprised when I started doing this critical review and was like, oh, wait, fingerprints are actually kind of terrible. That's so backwards. And even worse, around 2011, the first large scale study on the accuracy of fingerprint analysis was performed. Uh, It used 169 latent print examiners with a median 10 years experience. So from a pool of 744, each examiner was given about 100 pairs of latent fingerprints that were unintentional. So not like, you know, that you're putting down this fingerprint to be examined later. So you're going to make it nice and clear. It was just like regular touching stuff. And they were also given exemplar fingerprints, which were collected within a controlled environment. So like mimicking when someone's arrested and their fingerprints are taken. And so, sorry, what was the, uh, what was the study? What did the study show? Uh, how accurate fingerprint analysis is. And was it accurate or was it? 
Uh, well, of these examiners, 85% committed at least one false negative. Uh-oh, that's not good. Uh, no, that's a, that's a lot. And 3% committed false positives. Which isn't doesn't sound as big of a deal, but when it's 169 examiners and 3% of them are saying, yes, this is the person you're looking for. That's also a big deal because even if that's 3%, if you're the one person who is in jail because somebody fucked up mm-hmm. their fingerprint analysis, like that's a big deal. Yeah, it's not good. No, that's not good. So yeah, that is the uh, fingerprint forensic fact, which is... Of kind of a bummer. Is there any way that like technology can help with that? Because like if a robot brain looked at it, it wouldn't be so subjective? Well, I don't know because we did it in my class and you have a computer program, but all it does is like help you magnify the fingerprint and make it look more clear. And then you use these little symbols to click on the different things you see. Oh, I think you showed me something about this before. Probably. So in my paper, I had a section of like what should be done. So and I said that the first step is standardizing the way in which analyses are conducted, like indicating the minimum acceptable number of similarities and point matching. So that's the uh, the different features of a fingerprint. Those are, that's the point matching. Okay, so that would be like you've got a little valley here and you've got a delta here, like that kind of thing. Exactly, and like like matching that to. Yeah. 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 So if there was like a minimum acceptable number, like you have to have at least 10 of these matching or hopefully more, um, determining whether point matching or more holistic approach or something entirely different is more accurate. Holistic and point matching are the two that are used. And it seems to just depend on the examiner, which one they're going to do. Oh, well, that doesn't that doesn't sound good. Yeah, it's not great. And also, I know it's not what you meant at all, but whenever anybody says holistic, I just imagine like incense and yoga, like a more holistic approach. So do I. Every single time. Like the word holistic just brings to mind granola for me. Yes, absolutely. It's a very crunchy word, which (laughs) I'm down with. Yeah. Thank you for enlightening us then about fingerprints. Oh, sorry. Just one more thing. Can you say what that initial, what the acronym is? Because I've seen that and I didn't know what it was, but now I know what it was. So I just want to go over it again. Yeah. So it's ACE-V. So A-C-E-V. I don't know whether it's a dash. And it's analysis, comparison, evaluation, verification. Okay, cool. And it's what the FBI uses for fingerprint identification. Cool. Okay, I'm going to keep an eye out for that then. I'll know what that means when I see it next. Yes. Alrighty. So I guess with that, we'll start with my unidentified. Yeah. So this is another hard one. I saw the name and I made a noise. It's a hard one. Yeah. So this is a child murder death. So just if you don't want to hear it then you can fast forward i won't be offended okay so this is a case that was suggested by jacqueline so thank you very much yes thank you Uh, i'm trying to remember which one she suggested last time uh beth doe was it beth doe okay she gives good suggestions yes okay so on december 5th 1982 at around 7 a.m 
the Jackson County Sheriff's Office received a call from a truck driver reporting a woman in a blue plaid shirt floating face down in the Escatapa River near a bridge off the eastbound Interstate 10 in Moss Point, Mississippi. A sheriff's deputy attended the scene, but there was no body. So he expanded his search radius and soon found a body. But rather than a woman, he had discovered the partially submerged body of a little girl face up in the weeds by the bridge. That's so rough. Yeah. The girl was white with curly strawberry blonde hair and possibly blue or brown eyes. And 12 of her deciduous teeth had erupted. Excuse me? That's her baby teeth. Okay, you answered my question. Thank you. Deciduous like a deciduous tree where they fall out. I'm going to remember that, hopefully. Thank you. You're welcome. So she was around one to two years old. Um, two foot five to two six and 20 to 25 pounds water found in her lungs indicated that she had drowned however the autopsy also indicated that someone had attempted to smother her before throwing her from the bridge she had been dead for approximately 36 to 48 hours holy shit because she was found early in the morning near a delta of the river the little girl was dubbed delta dawn is this that song this is where that song comes from uh i don't think it, no no because tanya tucker did no I, th- I think hers was from the 70s i think the investigator was referring to the song by tanya tucker from 1972 that makes sense i haven't heard the song in a while so i couldn't remember if the really lyrics i was briefly obsessed with it in middle school because it was in my mom's um binder of guitar music i think i remember that i was like obsessed with that song for for a couple months as I usually get with songs I have this like like I know what your singing voice sounds like and I have this weird memory now of us walking home and you were singing yeah yeah I remember that so yeah unlike the body spotted by the truck driver Delta Dawn was not dressed in blue instead she was wearing a Cradle Togs brand pink and white dress decorated with three flowers on the front and a button-up back as well as a disposable diaper that's so rough I know. The, like, the description, I cannot get over it in every single kid case. Like, just the description of what they're wearing, it like really drives home. little kid clothes. Like, like a this diaper. is a child. It's... This is a young child. So, if you go to the tab I made you open. Oh. Yeah. And then also the pictures down. So, that's, um, they have her por- post-mortem picture. Oh. Which, it's not very, it's really, really blurry, so you can't really see. So, they were able to create a really accurate reconstruction of her because they had her only 36 to 48 hours and that's why the reconstructions look so good and then there's another one if you scroll down this is on the unidentified wikia yes article um so this reconstruction from neck has another version of what she would have looked like it looks like a photo oh shit i thought that was a photo i i don't know if they took the photo of her postmortem and messed with it oh or my God. how they did this it, i know it's crazy yeah i just saw the photo and i didn't realize that underneath it said original neck mech reconstruction i was just like oh, i that's know it looked like a photo so at like, first i was like oh this is solved and then i'm like it's not solved that's just a freaking good like for a second i forgot that we were doing an unidentified yeah so that's what she would have looked like so sweet yeah <sighs> okay so anyways anyways okay Not only was it highly unlikely that the truck driver had mistaken a little girl in a pink and white dress for an adult woman in blue plaid, but the spot where Delta Dawn was found was so thick with weeds that spotting her from the road would have been virtually impossible. Therefore, investigators still had a body to find. 
They dragged the area of the river where the woman had been spotted and also used helicopters and boats, but she was never found. However, on December 8th, around 55 meters from where Delta Dawn had been found, under the same bridge, they found another body. So this was only three days after? Yeah. Okay. This time, a mainly skeletal black male around 18 to 20 years, 22 years old. He was beneath the eastbound I-10 bridge from which he'd likely been thrown, and investigators believed he'd been there for at least six months, meaning he was very unlikely to be connected to Delta Dawn. This man remains unidentified. So they just happened to find another body. Oh my gosh. That so this bridge was like... It seems to be like prime dumping ground. Yikes. Easily accessible. Like there's a river. I don't know how fast moving it is. I kind of forgot to look at that. It must be somewhat fast moving because there was definitely a body that the truck driver spotted. Yeah. For sure. And it's hard to mix those two up. Like I'm just yeah. thinking about like the size. And as I get into it later, you'll see why. Like there definitely was another body. Oh, okay. So this is where the case feels a bit similar to the babes in the woods for me. Early on December 3rd, so two days before Delta Dawn was discovered, a young woman wearing a blue plaid shirt and blue jeans uh, and carrying a female toddler was seen by multiple witnesses in the area. They were first seen on Mississippi State Highway 63 and then on National Interstate 10 near the Alabama border, the same road where Delta Dawn was found. That cannot be coincidence, right? There's no way. There's no way. That has to be them. The last sighting was of them going west along Interstate 10 between midnight and 1 a.m. near the truck scales by the Alabama-Mississippi border. All witness reports agree that the woman seemed distressed, but she refused any help from passing drivers. There was also a report from a woman who had been monitoring CB radio. I don't know why. Is this just a thing people did? That was a huge thing back then. That was it was like the in thing to be like have like a CB radio and like but listen like, in for what I there was no internet Caitlin but there were books TV was a thing honestly this is just me extrapolating outside. this is just me thinking from like a 2020 brain sometimes when I'm lonely I go on Twitter and you feel like a little bit more connected I feel like maybe oh, it's that maybe. like it's like there's other people it's like listening to people recite a message board like you know okay I think I okay I like that I think that's probably what it was. I don't know. But yeah, the woman reported um, hearing truck drivers, quote, raising a boatload of hell, which is a phrase I need to add to my vernacular. I was literally just thinking I'm going to use that because it is my favorite now. Yep. About a distressed barefoot woman carrying a coatless female toddler along Interstate 10. So it's most likely that this is the woman the truck driver spotted in the river and the toddler she was carrying was Delta Dawn. This is extremely obvious, but I just want to make sure that truck driver that saw them is not the same truck driver that saw them in the river. Oh, like the ones... No, she was hearing a bunch of different truck drivers oh, talking about... okay. Like, um, talking to each other over radio about what they were seeing. Gotcha. Okay, were, like, I understand it There now. were so many witnesses, like, along that road seeing saying them. Saying there's a and, woman with a coatless female toddler yeah, and it's and December. Yeah, they, and they were trying to offer help and being like, what the hell's going on? Yeah. It is strange that nobody called the police, like, because I'm sure there may have, there has to have been a house or a restaurant or something along that route that they could have gone and been like, hey, there's this woman just, like, walking along the highway. Yeah, you would, I didn't see any reports and anyone like called the police about it. You would hope that someone would do that, but also like 
truck drivers have like hard like deadlines they ha- and yeah things. they do but it was also not just truck drivers it was like regular oh okay there were regular drivers also spotting that so excuse I'm, doesn't fly for them yeah because truck drivers i'm like okay i can understand yeah but like the regular drivers i'm like you should call somebody about that yeah so i'm like mm, yeah. don't know if anybody actually did or not yep also like not only is it like they seem like they are in distress but just anyone walking along an interstate i've called the, the cops about someone walking along the interstate before yep and having said that i don't know if the interstate 10 near the alabama border is like a two-lane highway that's not well it sounds like it was pretty well it was, it trodden sounded, yeah because i wasn't sure but then like hearing all these like a bunch of truck drivers all these drive regular drivers it sounded like there were a bunch of people that yeah. spotted her yeah so i would say somebody should have called yeah Can yeah see something say something yes is that a is that an army quote i don't know maybe a world war ii thing i don't know anyway so tons of witnesses so delta dawn is now buried in jackson county memorial park after deputy virgil moore and his wife marianne arranged for a proper burial and a funeral that was attended by 200 people mm. delta dawn's gravestone is inscribed with baby jane the name chosen by marianne oh there's a bunch of like little figurines and a rosary and so someone's keeping it silk up. flowers yeah that's really sweet and there's also this little cross Oh, I Which see that. I didn't see this mentioned in where I was reading about her, but I kind of think that's probably either like an old grave marker or by where she was found. I was going to say that looks like a road grave It does marker. look like a roadside marker. Sorry if I missed it. Did you see if there's DNA available? Uh, yeah. Oh, and I didn't even notice this. Um, someone suggested that she was could have been Brandy Krajewski. She's been ruled out. Brandy Lee Krajewski was a toddler believed to have been kidnapped and murdered in 1982. And that's from Unidentified Wikipedia. Yeah. Our Bible. And Did you say she, Bible? Yes, it is our Bible. Oh, oh, our Bible. I said yes. or Bible. I'm like, no, no, it's called Unidentified <laughs> Wikipedia. I didn't read that from the Bible. Like, I'm pretty um, sure it's not called the Bible. No. But she's been ruled out. So the sources I used for this were Find a Grave, The Doe Network, Namus, Wikipedia and Unidentified Wikia and Neckmac. And on the Find a Grave, they have a picture someone posted of a little girl that isn't a reconstruction. It's like a photo. Does someone know something? But I don't know who this girl is. I kind of think that maybe someone was like, oh, maybe this is her. She looks a lot like that reconstruction. Yeah. So again, I was like, oh, this has been solved. But no, and I have no idea who this little girl is. Oh, that's so heartbreaking. So it feels like it was her mother was with her and is the one that did something. I feel like she's distressed. It feels like it might be a murder-suicide situation. Like if she threw her daughter into the river and then jumped in after her. And that's why I kind of think that maybe there's a good current in the river, at least the middle. Like if Delta Dawn got stuck in the weeds to the side, but say the mother was like more in the middle and then mm-hmm. got taken out by the current and that's why they couldn't find her because if they were only dragging a certain amount maybe she's like far off yeah that's a very good theory so i'm wondering like maybe because i don't think it was like she was alive floating no, face down in the no, river it i don't think like so no because i was like oh maybe she had regrets and jumped in after to like get her out and then was gone by the time the police got there but no i think no, it was I her think, body got yeah. swept away yeah that's what it sounds like. Oh. And so, yeah, that's the really sad case of Delta Dawn. 
Thank you for the suggestion, Jacqueline. Yes, we really appreciate it. Do you have an obsession with true crime? Are you intrigued by the mystery and the rabbit holes surrounding unsolved cases? And can you appreciate the snark and humor of an exhausted mother of two young children? Then you should click subscribe to Naptime Nancy Podcast. Throw on some baby shark for your kids or pet or partner. Slide your headphones on and join me as I talk some true crime during nap time. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Audioboom, and other listening apps. Should I start with mine? Yes. Okay. Tell me you're unidentified. Okay. So we're going from a very young person to a very old person. Okay. Uh, my sources for this case are the Unidentified Wiki, NamUs, the Doe Network, and I also used a WebSleuth thread and a Reddit thread for the theories section. As always, I will link these in the show notes, and I'm also going to shout out specific users because I'm... I did not think of any of these theories by myself. I just think yeah. this one is so interesting because it's an I'm excited. It's uh, an identity theft one. Yes, which you know is oh, like no. When it's identity theft, I want all the theories. All of the theories. All the theories. All of the theories. Okay. So, okay. Tell me. Tell me. Tell me. Here is the case of Peter Turner. On March thirty first, two thousand and five, an elderly white man walked into the Christians in Action thrift store in San Angelo, Texas. While in the store, he had a heart attack. He died in the Shannon Hospital ICU the same day. He was thought to be 70 to 100 years old. Oh, okay. So I think that's the first time we've said 100 on this podcast. Oh, yes. Uh, he was 5 foot 5 to 5 foot 7 in height, 125 to 140 pounds, and he had blue or hazel eyes. His hair was white and his eyebrows were graying, so they weren't as oh, yeah, stark, yeah. right? Stark, right? They weren't stark right, stark white yes. as his hair. Other than the tips of his fingers, he had no scars, no tattoos, and the Doe Network says he had quote very little to no body hair end quote. So oh, now I want to know what he did to his fingers. The centers of his fingertips were scarred to the point of mm-hmm. being unrecognizable. Mm-hmm. I knew you were gonna say it. So there are no fingerprints on file for this Doe. Mm. Um, there is no way to say if that was on purpose, but I think oh, no, it was actually like that had to be on purpose, right? Uh, yeah. Like if it's I identity w- theft, it was on purpose. It was totally on purpose. What I wrote in my notes is I would bet money he erased his fingerprints on purpose and I never gamble. Like this is a, I think this is a solid bet that he did this on purpose. And also it's known that it is really freaking hard to get rid of fingerprints. So doing yeah. it accidentally... Like, how are you going to do that? I was thinking it's, about that. Yeah. Like, because even if you burn them, they're going to. Yeah. Unless you burn them so badly that your skin can't grow back. Which is, you would probably only do that specifically to only your fingerprints on purpose. Yeah. And like, how would you do that accidentally? Like, yeah. I don't. Yeah. I don't understand. So, um, there are no descriptions of the clothes he was wearing, but his glasses are typical grandpa glasses. Yeah. I was going to say, he's probably wearing old man clothes. Yes. So, I have sent you a photo. And he's got, I feel like every single grandfather was issued these glasses. I think so. And everyone in the 80s. So, yeah. I couldn't find a description of the clothes he was wearing, but those are his glasses. He seems to be wearing a shirt with a collar that I'm going to say is either white or light blue. And I'm assuming that this looks like a photo booth photo. Yeah. Oh, so maybe. It could be a driver's license photo because I don't know how else they would get that. And it's obviously not a postmortem photo. 
Uh, no, that is, he is alive that is a living man. Yes. Okay, so all he had on him at the time were those glasses and a form from the Pima County Health Department in Arizona. I didn't look this up. It could be Pima, but I'm pretty Probably sure Pima. it's Pima. I just I'm really nervous about. I know, right? Mispronouncing things now, but I think I've heard people say Pima. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Uh, which is so that county is 11 hours away from where he was found. Oh, and he had pieces of ID with four different names on them. Oh, so this would have been one of his yes. ID pictures. Actually, okay. yes. Yeah. That makes perfect sense that that is one of his ID pictures now that I really think about it. Uh, and there were two different dates of birth. It's not specified how many IDs he had. It could have been more than one per name. It could have been multiple IDs for one name. It doesn't really state uh, how many ideas, how many ideas, how many IDs he had um and it also didn't state the type so it didn't say if they were all driver's licenses or other ids i almost said health card and then i remembered we're we're not in canada we're in we're in in canada we have yes yes but we in the story are not in canada no we are not we are in texas yes a san angelo standard times article from 2010 by jennifer rios described some of the ids as quote typed with a name penned onto it unquote which feels far too old school for 2005, this seems that's, so old school. I think one of my mom's old IDs is like that, and that's from like the 80s. Yeah, it's very like, like we were in high school at this time, and I remember we had like a printing machine, like we could print yeah, our we, own and ID our, cards. And our student IDs were all typed, like we didn't write our own names no, on them, because so, I still have all mine. Me too. I love them. Memory lane. But yeah, so I think that this is like... It's really obvious that these are doctored, obviously, because there's yeah. four different names. But And also, if that photo was from one of his fake IDs, that's for sure not like a professional. No, it's go to obviously. Like, the DMV. It's like, a, like you can see the creases in the photo there's, booth fabric. Yeah, there's. Yeah. And I couldn't find any more info about the health form that he was carrying as well. Yeah. The Standard Times article also mentions that the man had medications as well, but I haven't also seen any other mention about those medications. So here are the names that okay. were on the IDs. Roger S. Smith of Enid, Oklahoma. Gerald Brown. Harold Freisinger. And Peter Turner. I was like, oh, he's going for all these standard names. And then, wait, what the hell was the third one? Extremely not standard. It's like, okay, buddy. And the birth dates used were February 2nd, 1922. And July 2nd, 1924. Huh. So unless he really wanted to be an Aquarius. I mean, we all do. Caitlin's an Aquarius. I am. So <laughs> unless he was doing it via astrology, which I would definitely, I would be like, oh, I get to choose my chart. Yes, please. Or unless he was like stealing the identity of an actual person. And those were the only ones he could get his hands on that were from the 20s and therefore correlated the most with his age. I didn't see any mention of the IDs being stolen versus made up. Mm. So I'm going to go with them being made up because of the description of them being written yeah okay and not having like because normally when people steal like actual ids don't they normally have a birth certificate or something like that you would think that the government he would have like to, more backup okay. stuff like maybe he did have that but it wasn't on him when he went to the mm. thrift store but yeah i haven't seen any it mentioned anywhere that these okay. were stolen ids dna is available as well as dentals he had an upper denture with one tooth missing and the doe network described his like actual teeth, not his dentures, as edentulous. The what now? That means he had no natural teeth. 
I did not know that was a word. I think I'm saying it right. Edentulous. Huh. That's a good word to know. It is. There is no discussion of his mannerisms by eyewitnesses and no mention of an accent. Mm. We have, like, no info on, like, if he was anything other than it kind of sounds like he was transient. That's about it. And even then, I'm just extrapolating from what it sounds like he was, like... Yeah, you're extrapolating from the sources you have available to you. Yes. So, now we're into theories. Theories. Okay. These are always a lot. This is a theories case for sure. Okay. We are looking for a man born anywhere from the 1910s to the early 30s. Okay. I'd yeah, say. that sounds that sounds reasonable. So, I'm going to pull from the web sleuth thread first. Um, so the web sleuth user marching twinkie 3 mentions the Zodiac killer. <laughs> I love internet names. I know it's so good. I don't think this is the Zodiac. That's like the standard go-to for literally everything. Everybody thinks that everybody is the Zodiac. Are you the Zodiac? Am I the Zodiac? Are we time travelers? <laughs> I don't know. But if we're like thinking of this like as an actual theory, which it isn't, um, I don't think he resembles the Zodiac sketch. No. It just doesn't feel like him to the me. white dude in glasses, like, no. It just doesn't look like him to me. No, and like, it's just... The Zodiac has a very strong jaw, and I feel mm-hmm. like our doe does not have that strong jaw. Um, Web Sleuth user Just Thinkin mentions Charles Frederick Rogers, a seismologist and World War II Navy pilot who lived in Houston, Texas. His parents were brutally murdered on Father's Day, 1965. Oh, Jesus. And found dismembered in the fridge. What the? In the home they all lived in. By him? No, they were uh, they were not found by him because no, I was, meant I meant were they murdered by him? Well, he was missing when they were found. So oh. how old was would he have been? Uh, An adult, I'm guessing. Yeah, it sounds like he was maybe like early twenties at the time. I kind of automatically think of him as the murderer because of Father's Day. Ooh, like making a point. Yeah, that's I did not put that together when I was writing this, but that's a good point. So yeah, and he is the sailor that i sent you the photo of earlier hey sailor the hey sailor photo um so that is charles frederick rogers and as we talked about before the ears don't really match yeah but also things sag when you're older he has very large lobes and they kind of go out a bit from his head it looks like you're talking about the old yeah like the the peter turner yeah yes that's true and then this guy has very just round like shell like ears so i don't think this is a match because of the ears yeah but i do see why people might think so yeah like also like just from the circumstances of disappearance and yes, all this and also it was in texas yeah um but the eyes and the mouth and the nose i could see perhaps being looking right i don't know it's so hard to tell yeah it's so hard to tell we all just start sagging like crazy the older we get the eyes look like maybe Yes, I was going to say the eyes. The outer corners I think if you told me that this guy was this young guy when he aged, I'd be like, yeah, I'd buy that. Yeah, I'd be like, without looking too close, I'd be like, yeah, sure. Yeah. But yeah, the ears are very, very different. That's the yeah. only part where I'm like, mm. Yeah, I don't know. And another theory by Just Thinkin also mentions that he could be Henry Lee Harbison, who is suspected of killing his wife and two children in Independence, Missouri in 1974. And had ties to the very culty sounding Church of the New Song. Oh, that is a straight up cult name. That is a cult if I ever heard one. Did you look it up? I didn't look it up, but we should do that right now. Perhaps I didn't look it up because it's hard to look up. 
International Network of Prison? Church of New Song under attack in court in 2005. Ooh. Okay. I think I found it. Ooh. Okay. So here is an article by the Deseret News from February 26, 2005. May I just point out that our dough was found in on March 31st, 2005. So that's kind of in the time frame. Uh, the state is seeking to overturn a 1974 federal court ruling that gave formal religious status to a prison group that officials say is nothing more than a front for a white supremacist group. Oh, yeah, and here it is. The Church of the New Song was founded in the 1970s by Harry Terrio, federal prisoner in Atlanta. Then people are suggesting it might be this guy who was part of this white supremacist re- yes. so-called religion, which was like a prison cult. And he killed his wife and two children. Yeah. So perhaps he's running away because he doesn't want to go to prison. But then he would be with his prison cult buddies. Right? So I don't understand why he's running away. Anyways, okay. That is like textbook rabbit hole. Yeah, that's like, we're going to spend the rest of the podcast just Googling this. This And you're going to listen to us Googling things. This is a cult podcast now. Okay. Anyway. (laughs) There is also a thread on the Unsolved Mysteries subreddit by user Fraulein Doctor that brings up a few interesting thoughts okay first he could be one of the june 1962 alcatraz escapees oh yeah so frank morris and then there were two brothers Ah. john and clarence anglin but our doe did not have tattoos or scars other than his fingerprints so i don't think that he is the alcatraz escapees and the second thought from this subreddit thread is that some people thought that he could have been the nazi dr death but that person died in Cairo in 1992. Reddit user Johnnyville also mentions that during World War II, there were some prisoner of war type camps in Texas. So maybe he was a prisoner of war escapee, but... Oh, like for Nazis or... Yeah. Oh, okay. So maybe he was a Nazi prisoner of war in Texas. But I feel like maybe he would have had a accent and maybe someone would have said something about it. I don't know. It's, yeah, it's... Because it's really hard to hide an accent. It is. Like, and maybe nobody heard him before he died, but also, like, I don't know. I just feel like someone would have mentioned that. And also, like, going with the runaway Nazi is kind of, like... Also a like bit of a go- Zodiac go-to. Yeah, it. those are both. They're pretty typical, like, theories yep. for most It's going to be the Zodiac or a Nazi. Yeah. So here is who he isn't. Uh, Unidentified Wiki mentions that it was thought that he might be an Australian family annihilator named Elmer Crawford, who killed his pregnant wife and three children in the 1970s. But they actually ran DNA and excluded him. Okay. Uh, Colleen Fitzpatrick of the DNA Duo Project and Identifinders was involved with that rollout. So he is also not these people. Um, and I'm taking this list from a list that Just Thinkin posted on Web Sleuths. And they had apparently received this from Supervisor Payne with the San Angelo Police Department in January 2013. He is not Whitey Bulger, who was found in California in 2011 and was killed in prison. And he's not Lon Chaney, missing from Bossier City, Louisiana. He's not William Shaw, missing from Las Vegas. He's not John Sneed from Tennessee. He's not John William Anaker, missing from San Antonio, Texas. He's not Jerry E. Bergevin an escaped convict and he's also not howard kimball from west virginia who went missing on a road trip with stops in las vegas and edmonton i'm just mentioning that because he could have been because he was in the southern u.s yeah 
And he is not Lee Hobart Abel Jr. And this is a really sad story. Um, Lee was a homicide victim whose remains were found in 2012 in Florida. And he was a World War II vet on a fishing trip on his 78th birthday. But he didn't come home to his wife who was waiting for him. Mm. It breaks my heart. It's so sad. So, okay. So I don't think he's this person. But I think that out of all of these people is probably the closest I think that he could potentially, I wouldn't be surprised if he was Charles Frederick Rogers, who perhaps left Texas, but came back thinking that enough time had passed that nobody would recognize him six hours away from Houston. A book called The Man on the Grassy Knoll came out in 1992 with the theory that Rogers was a CIA agent who killed JFK and he murdered his parents because they were figuring it out. Can we like do a little check mark in the bingo? Oh my God. Like killed JFK. That's also a theory. Um, Even with all the video release, people are like conspiracy theory of JFK. It's like, no, we, we have... video evidence (laughs) oh my god sorry i just remembered being like 11 and being like what if we didn't go to the moon but my head just turned it into what what if there's no moon (laughs) (laughs) what if there is no moon it's a new moon what if there's no moon (laughs) what if the moon disappears every new moon that's a theory that has been just incubated in my brain right now i know now i'm thinking that but no there are people that don't believe there actually is a moon like because they the people that think this is all part of like a computer simulation and all this and oh that nothing is real and yeah god okay there is a moon i for the record i believe there's a moon i mean there's tides also there's this i'm not gonna get into astrology it's true. okay we had to <laughs> <laughs> oh we are god. going somewhere crazy oh sorry i'm i think i had too much cow caffeine coffee today sorry coffee um so i don't think that's the thing no Uh, and there's also another theory in a 2003 book called the icebox murders that rogers was sheltered by friends in high places in the oil and mining sector i'm bringing these up because i think the idea of charles rogers being this john doe is more likely than both of those yeah those both seem outlandish to me yeah this because there's also tons of people that just like go under fake names yeah this is probably something very like run-of-the-mill like what um laurie erica ruff ended up being like there were all these i really believable theories i literally that's my next paragraph is that i followed the laurie ruff case and i'm more leaning towards him being none of these people yeah just like also i just have to say i'm going to do a case on Lori. Oh, yeah. I figured we should just dedicate an entire episode to that. I would love to do an episode on Lori. Because there is so much. And to this date, it is the only case that I actually participated on message boards about. Yeah, I remember that. And you told me all about it. So, yeah, yeah I think we should just do an entire case about we it. We should do an entire Lori episode. But um, there are similarities between this Doe and Lori. Not saying they are connected in any way. No, no. But just like. just I was just like, hmm, that's interesting. They both have Texas ties. They both have multiple fake IDs, with one having the surname of Turner, because he was Peter Turner, and Lori's first ID was Becky Sue Turner. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. And Lori's case had some wild theories as well, and all of those were wrong. Yeah, because usually it's the most mundane explanation. It is like, yeah, it's this, what is, is that Occam's razor that the simplest thing is right? I think so. It's very, I feel like this case is very Occam's razor. Yeah, it's probably just going to be some regular guy yep and that's my case now it's resolved 
And I'm trying to, I'm like, I should react to that being your case, but I'm like, I don't know how. It's um, a really interesting case. I always love the identity theft. I think it's because it's like, you don't want me to know your name. I'm going to figure it out. It's like a like the best puzzle. It is. Because then I, you like start with, okay, here's all your fake names. Were these real people? Were these just made up? Then you're thinking about why did you want a fake identity? Exactly. And then it's just like the most, I feel like I say this a lot, but it's the most catnippy mystery for me. It's, it's just like pure rabbit hole. A rabbit hole with rabbit holes going from different rabbit holes. Yeah. yeah I hope that they're able to use the DNA and figure out who he actually yeah. is. And then figuring out who he actually is can figure out what was going on. Well, because I just had a terrible thought. What if he had dementia or amnesia or something and he didn't even know who he was? Oh, that still doesn't awful. That doesn't account for the fingerprints. Yeah. But that's a really sad story that I hope it's not. Yeah, taking out the fingerprints, that indicates something criminal to me. To me as well. Yes. Should we talk about your case? I guess we should, eh? Yeah. Okay, so this is a case. I actually originally looked at it to be my solved or identified for the Halloween one. But I was like, two well cases in one episode, that might be too many wells. So this is the case of Belle in the Well which is the fun name and then or Chesapeake Jane Doe which is the not fun name I've never I've heard of Belle on the Well a million times I've never once heard it called the Chesapeake Jane Doe yeah there's always some like really boring name attached to the more interesting names so the sources I used for this were an article from vocal.media by Jen I think it's Chichester sure and it doesn't tell Chichester Chichester I maybe no I'm in timeout for pronouncing things so <laughs> um and it doesn't tell me the date it was posted it just says eight months ago so you can do the math you do your own math and of course I use the DNA dough project of course which I'm going to be talking quite a bit about with this one actually Ooh. and an article from the Atlantic by Sarah Zhang from July 29th 2019 in Lawrence County Ohio on April 22, 1981, a pair of sisters came upon the burnt remains of a house that had been sitting there for about six to eight years. So this was an abandoned building for six to eight years? Yeah, it yeah. wasn't like... Okay. I think it had like burned down like six to eight years beforehand. So because abandoned buildings are basically the coolest thing ever... Yes, I agree with that. They decide to explore. And they came across a blocked cistern. Oh no. And instead of like just leaving it alone, they kind of went the horror movie route and i think because it was blocked they probably pushed what was on top off in order to get in um they peered inside and came upon a horrifying sight the body of a woman so the one article like the vocal.media said teenage sisters but then another article i think in the atlantic was saying that they were really young sisters so i just said they're sisters okay well actually the other article just said a pair of like really young girls or young kids, I can't even remember. So They're I'm sisters. pretty sure it was a pair of sisters. I don't really know the age. Okay. Strong enough to move a, a cinder block. I don't know how heavy cinder blocks are. So the Lawrence County Police and Fire Departments drained the cistern and pulled the woman out along with bits of evidence. A cinder block matching the one that had been on top of the cistern was tied with a rope to the woman's neck, clearly to weigh the body down. But the woman had been strangled. Oh, no. I'm assuming prior to being tied with the block and it wasn't strangled by like being thrown down 
like like the, being tied to the cinder block yeah and yeah strangle her as she was yeah yeah i don't think it was that i think she was strangled then it was tied down to so bill nenny an investigator for the coroner's office dubbed her bell in the well rhyming i like it i like the rhyming it's, it's actually catchy. kind of a sweet name it is catchy She's and calling sweet her, calling her bell i mean yeah her beautiful so bell was white about five four and estimated to be between 30 and 60 years old with a noticeable overbite based on her state of decomp investigators believed she'd been in the cistern for one to two years oh jeez. She was found wearing gray flannel pants, a lightweight shirt, a gray pullover sweater, and a red cable knit cardigan. She also had rubber bands around her wrists. I don't know if it was holding the sleeves down or if it was... Oh, if they were just like loose? Because I've seen rubber bands to hold sleeves down, but they might have just been around her wrists. Yeah. It could have been like a ponytail A hair holder. thing. Yeah. The evidence pulled out with her body were a Jerry Falwell commemorative coin and i've looked up who that is he was an american televangelist so an american southern baptist pastor televangelist and conservative activist and his name did sound familiar yeah i think from john oliver's take on televangelist which is very yeah. good just gonna and say he was the founding pastor of the thomas road baptist church a mega church in lynchburg virginia these are all red flags so she has that. Uh, she also has a key for a locker in a Greyhound bus terminal located in Huntington, West Virginia. A bus ticket. I'm going to assume Greyhound, but they don't specify. Mm. And a pay stub. But none of this evidence helped in Bell's identification. Bill Nenny, the investigator who nicknamed her, spent 38 years trying to find out who Bell was. In 2014, he suggested using forensic genealogy to forensic anthropologist Elizabeth Murray, who subsequently added Bell's information to NamUs. He then uploaded Bell's uh, mitochondrial DNA to a database maintained by Ancestry and started the long, painstaking task of contacting anyone whose DNA results indicated they were related to Bell. Of the few people who responded to his messages, none had any idea who Bell could be. Oh, that's frustrating. I know. The problem was that mitochondrial DNA didn't provide enough information, and at the time, Ancestry's results were only based on that and Y DNA, which is only found through males. Right. Nenny needed results based on Bell's autosomal DNA, but that required saliva, which investigators obviously didn't have. Three years later, in 2017, Elizabeth Murray, so that's the forensic anthropologist from before, met a forensic genealogist named Colleen Fitzpatrick while at a conference. 2017 is the year that Fitzpatrick and author Margaret Press formed the DNA Doe Project, of which we are huge fans. We've already mentioned Colleen once in this episode. Yes, I thought that was a crazy coincidence. That is. But yeah, so shout out to them. Yay. And they were looking for their first cases. Bell became one of the first four cases to be investigated by the DNA Doe Project and the hardest one so far. One volunteer, Lee Bingham Redgrave, described the results as a, quote, bowl of spaghetti instead of, quote, a family tree with branches. Because in the community where Belle appeared to originate, everyone was related in some way. Oh, dear. There was a lot of intermarriage. I see what the bowl, I can see the bowl of spaghetti. spaghetti yeah. yeah. Practice of endogamy, which I'd forgotten was, so that's when, like, that's a lot of intermarrying in the same community, so everyone's related somehow. Oh. I learned that in anthropology one time and forgot the word until yesterday. 
There were ultimately 43,130 people volunteers had to go through. Oh my God. At that point, you're like, oh, that is a mountain. This is my life now, I guess. The biggest clue they had to go on was that Belle's parents didn't seem to be related. Mm. In January 2019, a Canadian with German ancestry uploaded their DNA to GEDmatch and showed up as a distant relative to Belle. When Redgrave and her husband Anthony looked through that person's family tree, they found a German man who had immigrated to the States, and from there, they discovered he was Belle's father. Solidifying that belief was a 1934 yearbook they found on eBay, which contained a photo that bore a striking resemblance to Belle's facial approximation. Wow. DNA from her estranged daughter confirmed the match. Wow, wow, wow. I knew you'd like that detail. I love that detail. And now I'm like, wait, there's yearbook sellers? I wonder if I can find my dad's yearbooks because I think my dad told me that like a lot of his yearbooks and possibly school photos, my granny either gave away or like sold at a yard sale. I'm like, what strangers wanted your photos? (laughs) Seriously, what? That is a little (laughs) creepy. Oh my God. I'm a little alarmed. That is quite alarming. But like, now I'm like, I wonder if I could track down his yearbooks. You probably could. I'm going to have to ask him what schools he went to again and write them down and yeah. do search because that would be fun. So for Belle, there's only the two images. So at the top of the DNA Doe Project page is the clay bust that was made. And you can see the underbite that they were talking about. Or overbite, yeah. Oh, overbite, yeah. And then if you go down... That's uh, from her yearbook picture. So that's the one where they were like, oh, there's like a really strong resemblance, which if you look at it, actually, yeah. If Like if you ignore the hair on the clay bust. And yeah, if you just picture her like smiling. And even the nose looks pretty on point. But yeah, that's her yearbook photo. And maybe as they get more information, we'll eventually have like maybe more photos of her, like with Deborah Jackson, how we started getting more photos of her after she was identified. Yeah. Finally, after 14 months of hard work, Belle had her name back. Louise Virginia Peterson Flesher was born June 16th, 1915 in West Virginia, meaning she would have been in her late 60s when she was murdered. But currently, that is all we know. Oh. So I know this is another one where it's like, and you're said oh. hashtag solved, hashtag not solved. Exactly. That's why we renamed this section to, to the identified rather than yes. solved because this happens. Okay. So I was really excited to see Lee and Anthony's names in this because they do the Trans Doe Task Force and the Trans Doe Task Force podcast, which you can find on Spotify and probably all the other oh for podcast sure, places for sure. but i would highly highly recommend it it's yes. so interesting and yeah follow them on all this stuff because it's yeah it's yeah, working a lot of familiar names yeah in this episode. so based on where she was hidden i feel like it was someone local because who you, else would know exactly like you normally like because they would well obviously a house is abandoned if it's burned down but it would you'd want to know that the place no one's really frequenting it like knowing that the cistern is there yeah because like i'm basing this off like the well at my oma and granite's but it's a pretty small thing it's hidden under a picnic table yeah. so like if you weren't expecting it you wouldn't know it's there yeah 
but and they're going to want to know that there's not really like people around that are going to spot it like how far the neighbors are maybe it's like a relative who like knew about the house and was like oh i I know where a wall is that nobody's gonna and maybe it was like abandoned for like 50 years or something it was just burned down like six to eight years like remember the abandoned um like daycare was it that was near our houses in brampton oh yes that got burned down down as well yeah and it had been staying there abandoned for a really long time i don't remember a time when it wasn't abandoned exactly so interesting yeah so my guess is someone local and had planned it instead of because it's not like driving around randomly going okay there's some trees and throwing the body it's like "Mm, okay there's a cistern okay we got some rope they had either rope was at the house or they already had some with them to tie it like this was clearly planned absolutely but this case this case i was not expecting this much in it and i'm so happy you did this case because in looking for my solved i'd like see it and i'm happy that you told me that you were doing it because i so many times i was like oh louise virginia peterson flesher and then i'd click it and it'd be like Oh, she's Bell in the Well. I did that maybe three times. I've done that. It's like, oh, wait, it's you. Yeah. But yeah, this is... There's so much in this. And we don't know why her daughter... Like, I don't know how many daughters she has. And if they're all estranged, Ooh. I, I'm i kind of wondering, like, what's her connection to the church? Like, was she, like, just a really big yeah. fan? Like, Because normally you don't have a commemorative coin from, like, a televangelist. Normally not, unless you really like the televangelist. So I wonder if she was like really big into the church. Like, did she go to the church? Like, where was it again? I think it's in Virginia, West Virginia. They're right next to each other. It is. But also, I feel like Jerry Falwell is one of those people where like he would mail shit out. Oh. And like he would, because televangelists do oh, yeah. television evangelism. So that's true um i think this case also shows that it's important to upload to Judmatch oh if God, you I want was, to have cases i was totally gonna make that point and forgot i personally have just gotten my dna results from Woo. ancestry and i put them on Judmatch, and i don't quite know how it works but i did know how to click that opt-in button yep that was easy yes and also this is an american dough but it was the dna from a canadian that led to her being found that's another good point so that's why mine's there. It's like we can't do forensic genealogy in Canada, but yet, we might be able to someday. help the states. But yeah, and I know, DNA. like looking at my ancestry, there's like a lot of various family members down in the states, and also South Africa. It turns out, oh, uh, Indonesia. And that all makes Australia. sense. Dutch. That makes sense. Exactly. Okay. So, so yeah. That is the case of Bell and the Well, which hopefully we'll have updates of like where the case is going and who did it. Yeah. If you want to see photos, you can head on over to our Instagram, which is at Joe Podcast. Our Twitter is at Doe Podcast. Our Facebook is at Doe Podcast. Everything is at Doe Podcast. And you can also visit us on the World Wide Web at www.doepodcast.com. And you can email us at doepodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> What else? What else do we got? Yeah. I think that's it. I think that's it. We should make a MySpace just for just for fun. We really should. Just Does like, MySpace exist still? I think so, because now it's become like a band platform. That's. I feel like it was always very good at that. Yeah. Okay, we're going to go. Okay. Bye. Bye.